you just wouldn't think that anything in her life we can relate to. But, you know, she talks about her first kiss. I mean, of course, it's Elvis. You know, we tried to show that in the movie. Like, what would that be like if your first kiss was Elvis and you're at school the next day and you can't tell anyone? Mm -hmm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year, and, of course, breaking down the state of the 2024 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and my guest today, he's back, EW's resident Oscars expert Joey Nolfi and EW's senior writer Devin Kogan. Hello to you both. How are you? Hello, hello. Happy to be a contender once again this this week, Jared. <laughs> a contender. I don't know. You might be an actor this week. We'll change it up from episode to episode. <laughs> keep, keep things fresh. Never know which category you'll pop up in. Um, well, this week we are doing a, uh, a, a deep dive into two movies, which Devin, uh, is, it's why Devin is here. She is covering both of these for us. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which opened last weekend, and Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, starring Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla Presley and Jacob Elordi as Elvis Presley. We're going to hear from the three of them a little bit later, but first, uh, some some... Not breaking news, but recent news this week. Uh, the Gotham Awards uh, announced its nominees. One of uh, one of my favorite movies of award season tops all of them. Joey, uh, if you could quickly break down the big headline for us there. Yeah, uh, I think we're seeing what we talked about in recent weeks, past lives, sort of having a surge here, past lives, and 1001 tied for the second most amount of nominations. They both got three apiece, so... Mm-hmm. Lovely to hear that for past mm-hmm. lives. And then actually, um, Andrew yeah. High's um, All of Us Strangers got the most nominations, yes. which uh, I don't know if anybody saw that coming. But uh, we do know that a few, wh- while we talked about last week, the Gotham Awards, like the person or the film that wins Best Picture at the Gotham Awards most often goes on mm-hmm. to win. There's no real correlation between their, or there's no real relationship between their voting bodies uh it is important to note that movies like oppenheimer were not submitted for the gothams although barbie Mm -hmm. was and it only got one nomination for ryan gosling in supporting so i think those are the uh the biggest takeaways from the gothams this year yeah, and these are gender-neutral uh, acting categories that they have here. Uh, I think, gosh, they may have been one of the first to do that. They and, and well, Critics' Choice does now, and the Spirit Awards. Um, so uh, those three organizations kind of leading yes. the way. Yes, and important slash funny to note that maybe for the first time in history, Ryan Gosling and his Notebook co-star Rachel McAdams <laughs> yeah. are squaring off in the same supporting category 20 years after the release of that film. So that's a fun little uh, uh, tidbit there. I love it, and I hope they're sitting at the same table together at the awards. Could have been Britney Spears. It could have been. It could have been. Could have been her in Chicago. We're, we're learning all kinds of things from her memoir. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get into it here, uh, Joey and Devin. Um, I want to start with the movie that's already in theaters, Killers of the Flower Moon. This movie, um, it's become the center of a lot of debate. Devin, can you kind of summarize the, uh, I'm using air quotes here, controversy around this movie? Yeah, I mean, I think controversy is maybe a strong term here. But, um, right. you know, since the release of this film, um, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, um, specifically from members of the Osage community who worked on it. Um, you know, this is uh, something where Scorsese worked very hard to and uh, 
teamed up with the Osage Nation, met very early on um, with people like Chief Jeffrey Standing Bear and and working with Osage artists. Um, And some of the Osage artists are speaking out about the experience of watching the film. Um, You know, one of the, some of the uh, comments that made a lot of headlines were uh, Christopher Coate, who worked as um, an Osage language consultant on the film. He gave her, I thought, a really thoughtful red carpet interview to The Hollywood Reporter talking about kind of the complicated feelings about watching a film like this. You know, he goes on to, um, he praises Martin Scorsese, he praises the performances. Um, He talks about how he still wishes the film was told primarily from the perspective of uh, Lily Gladstone's character, Molly Burkhart, um, as opposed to sort of centering it on, um, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Robert De Niro's character. Um, And so there's been, it's kind of kicked off a little bit of a debate over like kind of who tells these stories and and sort of whose perspective are, are, are we you know, um, kind of talking about. So it's it's been an interesting conversation and, and people, different people have had different kind of responses to it. Um, you know, some people have, have responded and said, you know, I wish this was, you know, told by an Osage filmmaker, you know, uh, primarily rooting in that experience. Some people are saying it's actually, you know, important not to kind of gloss over this history and sort of the I having seen the film would say that you know I I don't think it's it's some people are saying Leonardo DiCaprio's character is the hero and I'm like absolutely not he's a, mm-hmm. I that no. is not the the tack that uh, Scorsese takes so um it's just been an interesting conversation and it's opened up a lot of discussion about kind of who tells what stories and um kind of uh what points of view uh you know you're mm-hmm. you're spotlighting Right. And I I mean, I'll give a a spoiler alert here Uh, on the topic of Leo. I mean, yes, he does turn and he testifies against, but that certainly does not make one a hero. Um, uh, And it doesn't change like it doesn't absolve him from all of the horrible things he did either, which, uh, you know, the the, the end of the movie gets into that. And I think actually the, the very final scene of the film is so important and it it addresses all of that, how how Osage, well, what happened to them uh, has been turned into like entertainment through the years. Um, and in the process, though, all of the horrible things that happened to them was kind of erased. And this movie is trying to unerase that. It is, you know, this story is is putting the spotlight on that um, um, and a really important cameo uh, at the end of the movie that I don't want to spoil um, if, if people aren't already aware. But um it's yeah, it's a really interesting um, it, it's really interesting everything that people are are saying because I, I, I see it uh, and I totally understand it. Um, and it, it's really complicated. Um, and by the same token, I am certainly not an Osage person, so I don't know that my opinion matters <laughs> in this case. You know, it's it's one of those kind of situations. Um, you want to listen to everyone. Um, uh I also wonder too, Devin, sometimes how much people say things and they haven't even seen the film. That's true. I I sometimes get annoyed with um, specifically, you know, as people in our industry who love to to pontificate about things yes. and without actually having seen things. But look, this is a very meaty, thorny film dealing with a very, you know, uh, complicated and really ugly part of American history. And it makes sense that it would evoke these kinds of reactions. I mean, um, I, I think that I'm you know, if uh, the kind of discussion and thoughtful, you know, conversations people are having about it, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting. And I, I just think it's a, you know, a spectacular film that really, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I saw it a couple of weeks ago and it just stayed with me and I keep thinking about it, um, which I think is, is really extraordinary. 
Uh, I could not agree more. Um, all right. So all of that said, uh, Joey, um, a lot of people are calling this one of Martin Scorsese's best movies in his very long filmography. As of this recording, it is at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. It debuted in second place at the box office last weekend with uh, a little over $23 million, which honestly is not bad for a three and a half hour R-rated movie. Um I feel like it is safe to say this is a very likely Best Picture nominee. Then there's, of course, Scorsese and stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, Robert De Niro, uh, not to mention the many crafts category. So, Joey, could you give us the numbers? How many Oscar nominations, if they were announced tomorrow, do you think this will get in which categories? Yeah, and I do think I I do want to push back on this narrative of this somehow being like, uh, at the box office this being good for it i i don't know this whole rollout strategy for killers is so weird i know that apple and paramount have joined together on this it feels so weird to release this movie to theaters when it's technically an apple streaming title you like you'd think that they would want to boost subscriptions versus it having this narrative of underperforming at the box office for a 200 dollars move million dollar movie it only made 44 million dollars worldwide that is not good and not the kind of narrative I think you want to lead your movie into a best picture push. It should have debuted the same weekend as Barbie. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. But as we know, the Academy loves Marty and his frequent collaborator, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio. And the movie is, like you said, getting rave reactions from audiences and critics. So I think it's safe to predict nominations for picture, director, actor for Leo, actress for Lily, sporting actor for Robert. Adapted screenplay, cinematography, editing from Miss Thelma, Queen Thelma, um, score, and then maybe costume design, production design. So I'm thinking anywhere between 10 to 12 total. I feel like mm -hmm. that sounds right at this point. I think they would be quite happy with that. Yeah. Um, and worth noting, um, uh, sorry, Devin, correct me on his name here, uh, Robbie Robertson. Uh, I got that right. Um, does the music for this, uh, and that would be a posthumous nomination for him. He passed away after he had completed the music, but before the movie came out. Yeah, and he's a longtime collaborator uh, with Scorsese. Right. They've worked on on a lot of products together, and his his score and his music um, for this film is is really extraordinary. So I it think is that's a, a distinct possibility. And one other quick thing I want to mention here: we talked about all of the the debate over, uh, you know, from from the Osage people's point of view. Uh, there's also, gosh, lighting up social media. Um, some folks really do not like Brendan Fraser, last year's Best Actor Oscar winner in this movie. Um, it's a very short, um, a small, small role, uh, but he pops up very late in the movie as a lawyer who I would describe as a very um, loud, bombastic, over the top, um, perhaps a bit... Um, uh, stereotypical <laughs> of what you might see in in uh, old classic movies, and I wonder if that's not where he is taking his inspiration. But some people think his performance is just—I mean, garbage—is that the right word, Joey? <laughs> that's what oh, I feel there like I'm was, seeing. I feel like there was a headline over the weekend that was like, "Should Brendan Fraser give back his Oscar?" And I'm like, that is so unfair. Um, I, 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 I mean. Just like, come on, you know what the dude is doing. You're not stupid. Mm -hmm. And also, like, I will say, though, that it is kind of giving Tina Fey and 30 Rock when she's just like, do not cross a sugar baker woman. <laughs> so um, it, 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 it was kind of given that. But 
yeah. yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Leave Brendan alone. He like we're really going to go back after we this whole narrative that we had of him being mistreated by Hollywood, um, that right. whole situation that he went through with the Golden Globes. Everybody is on his side, and really, you're really going to turn and do this to him? Not even a year later, like grow up. That is a fair he, point. Yeah, and we're yeah. I think he understood the assignment. I like his performance. Uh-huh. Yes. I think it's I a did very not mess yeah. with a sugar baker woman. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I totally got what he was doing. It was a choice, and I think it was a smart choice. It I don't know. It um it it lent a little um absurdity to a an already horrible, ridiculous situation. Uh, you know, it just kind of compacted, you know, everything that was already going on. That that's my take on it. Leave Brandon alone. Leave him alone, indeed. All right, let's talk about our next movie, Priscilla. This one is also looking for her spot in the awards conversation. Um, it's it's fairly standard, by the way, for every Sofia Coppola movie to be in the awards conversation. Uh, like Killers of the Flower Moon, Priscilla is also currently at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Devin, for those who have not seen the trailers or read Priscilla Presley's memoir, could you just kind of summarize the events of this movie? Yeah, so this is a story um, sort of told from the perspective of Priscilla Presley, stretching from she met Elvis Presley when she was 14 years old, um, you know, in, in Germany. They quickly got married um, and basically spent you know, multiple years together. And it's basically sort of the story of their relationship. Um, it's told very, it's a very intimate story. It's really interesting that this is coming out after, um, you know, Baz Luhrmann's uh, Elvis, which is very much over the top and bombastic and about the, the, the glamour and the the pizzazz and the the performances of of, of Elvis Presley, where this has features no Elvis music. Uh, the Presley uh, uh, estate uh, has is not involved in this one, um, and it's much more about this this sort of intimate relationship and this very strange relationship of sort of being married to. Um, the most famous man on the planet, um, sort of the um, some of the more abusive elements of their relationship, yeah. both physical and emotional, um, and you know the fact that you know he was in his twenties when when they met and she was fourteen, um, and it's a really it's a really interesting film that uh, a lot of the things that Sofia Coppola is interested in as a filmmaker, you know, sort of female coming of age and sort of these kind of like uncomfortable relationships, um, and it's it's very much in line with the things that she's interested in and is sort of like a culmination. Mm-hmm. Of, um, you know, some of some of her past work. Yeah. Um, Joey, do you think it hurts or helps Priscilla's chances that we did have Elvis last year? Um, I think that is a tough question. It, it they're, I, they're two very different movies, I think, and two different, very different filmmakers. I don't know that necessarily the subject matter would hurt this because it is, I think that the people who are voting on these movies and watching these movies know the distinct difference between a Sofia Coppola movie and a Baz Luhrmann movie. And I think that uh, they are treating it as such. So yeah, I think that it, it, it doesn't, it's doesn't hurt. It doesn't help it. I don't think. And by the way, there are many distinctions between uh, those two directors for sure. Um, uh, and by the way, I want to note uh, while the, the Elvis estate is not involved in this movie, Priscilla Presley very directly yes. is. She was an executive yeah. producer and, and um, was very involved in, uh, you know, Kaylee got to spend time with her, which we'll uh, hear about in just a bit. Um, speaking of Kaylee, Kaylee Spaney won Venice Film Festival's Best Actress Award. Joey, do you think, like, is that like really playing into her chances right now? Is it helping? 
Oh, for sure. I think it's it's very early, but on paper, Kaylee has a lot going for her. I mean, if the strike goes on, she can promote the movie still, and many of her peers yep. won't be able to do that. She's also playing a real-life historical entertainment figure, which has worked out for nominations or victories for many people in recent Oscars history, including Joaquin Phoenix and Walk the Line, Reese Witherspoon and Walk the Line, Jamie Foxx and Ray. Jessica Chastain and Tammy Faye, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody, Renee Zellweger and Judy, like the list goes on. They love this kind of performance. She also has a report card that is very powerful right now. As you said, Best Actress at Venice and winning an acting award at Venice recently has worked well, very well, actually, for Emma Stone in La La Land, Olivia Colman in The Favorite, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers, and Kate Blanchett in Tar. So that is a very good indicator of Kaylee's standing in the race right now. And the fact that she will be able to promote her movie where so many others will not be able to promote her movie. That is a very, very, very good sign for her. However, when I am, when I do find myself thinking about best actress nominees and predicting them, I often find myself leaving her off the list when mm-hmm. I just am sort of, you know, when I'm not sitting down, able to Google and do whatever and and come up with all my stats, I, you know, off the top of my head, I am thinking Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, uh, Lily Gladstone for Killers, Emma Stone for Poor Things. Um, who are the other two? I just said this last week. Um, uh, do, do you have Greta? You have Greta near the top right. There's also no, no, Margot there's Robbie. two others, but, uh, Sandra, but no, Lula. I'm not predicting Mar- Sandra and there's one other one that I'm predicting, but it's not Margot Robbie and it's not Kaylee. So, uh, I just, I think that's where name recognition will come into play for her. That will be the only thing I think working against her is that there are so many people that are just, you know, their name is regarded or synonymous with sort of past award success or they're just much right. more recognizable stars than she is so i think that's the one thing working mm-hmm. against her yeah well and this year's best actress race is just stacked um i mean there's also fantasia barino annette benning um natalie portman <laughs> and that and that um, was the other one i was thinking of yeah yeah it's just it's a really incredible category this year um all right so then a- as a whole looking at priscilla where do you think it actually stands its best shot at nominations? Um, I think, uh, actress, costume design, and maybe makeup and hairstyling. Uh, that's usually Mm -hmm. like the standard for Sofia Coppola movies, like costume design. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably just those three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a pretty fair assessment. We'll of course see how the rest of the season goes. Cause gosh, as other, you know, uh, voting bodies announced there, you know, critics, organizations and such. Um, we'll, we'll see how those really start to line up. Um, yeah. So look, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Priscilla writer and director Sofia Coppola and stars Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Alordi, the awardist. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline 
Welcome back to The Awardist. We recently got Priscilla, director Sofia Coppola, and her stars Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Elordi together for our Around the Table video series. EW senior writer Devin Kogan led that conversation, which started with the source material, Priscilla Presley's memoir, Elvis and Me. Coppola shared why she connected so much with Priscilla and her story. Yeah, I was really surprised because I realized how little we know about her. I, you know, there's such a mythic, famous couple, Elvis and Priscilla. But when I read her story, I, I had no idea she was going to high school while she was living in Graceland. And just all the details of what her life was like was um, just really, I was really impressed with how she really reveals what their life was like, what her experience was growing up in such a um, over-the-top setting. And also I was surprised with how universal it was, how relatable it was, because there's a lot of things that all girls go through when they grow up that you can relate to, but in such a um, unique setting. But you just wouldn't think that anything in her life we can relate to, but, you know, she talks about her first kiss. I mean, of course, it's Elvis. So that's, you know, we tried to show that in the movie, like how, um, what would that be like if your first kiss was Elvis and you're at school the next day and you can't tell anyone and th they try to show like the feel the feelings that that she conveys in her story but I think things like yeah your your, your first kiss or for me becoming a mother and um, or being the new kid at school there's all these things that I think are really universal but then she describes it in this really interesting way because it's you know 60s Memphis with Elvis all girls go through you go through stages to to find your identity and become who you are and i'm always interested in stories of how people become who they are so it was really interesting i was surprised when i re i was just reading the book kind of for fun and her book's elvis and me and it has like a heart frame on the cover and um and then i was really touched by the um you know the emotional aspect of her development well, Priscilla Presley is an executive producer on this movie, as we've mentioned, and Kaylee Spaney was lucky enough to spend some time with her, which she told us a bit about here. I was lucky enough to sit down with Priscilla Presley herself, and that was, um, you know, such as uh, growing up an uh, Elvis and Priscilla fan, um, to, to have that moment with her was really sort of extraordinary. But I think... Um, you know, her reliving this part of her life again and going through those moments um, together and sort of watching her eyes light up talking about something or um, an inside joke they had and she'd giggle again. And you could just see her sort of going back to that time. And uh, I just, I, I felt that was really special and uh, um, such a key part in me trying to put this puzzle together. And fortunately for Jacob Elordi, the man he's playing was, of course, a global star, so there is no shortage of footage featuring him. But there's also a side of this man that we didn't really know. And then, of course, there's the voice. Elordi tells us what was most helpful for him in unlocking the man, the myth, the legend. When you, when you say that Elvis was mythic, I think that was probably the most helpful part was ignoring the mythology and trying to find out where the kind of real person lies in that. I mean, he was he was so well documented um, throughout his whole life. So there's so many examples and iterations of his voice as he grew up. Um, and then we had the freedom of going to a place where he wasn't so well documented sort of behind closed doors so I could kind of play with it a little bit and, and try to make it a bit more grounded and, and attempt to make it sound more human, if that makes sense. Yeah, our story was really focused on them in their private life, you know, behind closed doors, what these real, them as real people. Um, so that gave us some 
creativity and flexibility yeah, and, and then yeah people have you know when when you're with your when people are with their partners, there's little voices that you do. And I think we had satin and, and stuff like that from the book mm-hmm. and little pet names and little coups and things that kind of work their way into the into the voices naturally as well. And when Priscilla saw the final movie, the first thing she said was, you know, Kaylee really, that's how I felt. She really expressed that. And she, and she couldn't believe how um, Jacob's voice, she said it sounded just so much mm-hmm. like Elvis. So that was so gratifying to hear yeah. that from her. <laughs> Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, from the outside, people thought Priscilla was living a fairy tale. But as we see here or read in the book, that wasn't really the case. We see Elvis as a very controlling man. He dictated her hairstyle, makeup, clothes, even confined her to Graceland. The relationship is dark at times. And Devin asked Coppola about the more tense moments and how she chose to navigate some of those moments, both emotional and physical. Yeah, I thought it was really, her book is really revealing and honest about the ups and downs. And I really wanted it to have all all of that and not be, you know, one note and feel real and complex and um, and always try to have sensitivity and um, understanding for the characters. So, um, but I definitely wanted to have all the fun and excitement and glamour that she experienced and also the um, the hard part in a complex relationship of being a, with an artist that I was was struggling. Yeah. So I think it was a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of both. yeah. And, and always trying to have sensitivity and understanding that the characters are human and, and, and yeah, be understanding for them while, while coming back to her point of view. Yeah. I think it was easy to do that too, because of the Priscilla's words, the way that, that she wrote about it. They were all, it was always uh, acknowledging the complexities. And I think you spoke a little bit um, before about like women from that generation and, uh, the kind of strength of someone like Priscilla to be able to understand the kind of circumstances that and the pressures that Elvis was under. And I think playing that was uh, more the goal for us than playing like, uh, now I'm physical towards you or now I'm angry. It was There was always something under the surface, you know, that made it real. If that, if that yeah, sense. and I feel like they had a real, such a strong connection and went yeah. through so many different aspects of their relationships to try to convey that. Yeah. yeah. You try to go into playing any character, but especially this story without any judgment. And I, I, I think, um, I'm sure you obviously felt this, but what did it feel like this story was in safe hands and that you were, you know, respecting it and, uh, just being truthful and honest and wanted to make sure that she felt sort of safe and, yeah, that we yeah, I think just approaching it with sensitivity and that um it was really important that I felt that Priscilla felt that her story was represented in a way that was true to her. That also meant capturing the essence of Graceland. They reveal what it was like stepping into that world. That was so exciting for me that when we, we built it all on on stages. So the art department who was incredible, Tamara Deverell was the designer and the her great team we built Graceland in Toronto, um, all on stages, and they had the original plans. So it's all built um, to the uh, real Graceland plans, except for the, the ceilings are taller for for Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, just we had tons of meetings with shag carpet and drapes, and just like wanting it to feel as lavish. And um, and and Elvis loved some animal figurines, <laughs> and just to have all that to really go for it and and I hope the audience feels like they just get immersed in this world of Elvis and Priscilla Graceland in the 60s so that was really um, fun to kind of to create that world and those colors because it's just so different than than how we live mm-hmm. and um, and every time we would go on set it was like um, 
got to sink into the shag carpet mm-hmm. and feel like you're in their world. Well, it's such a gift as an actor to be able to walk into a set that's so immersive, you know, and everywhere you turn, there's something tangible to, you know, it's, it's a real playground. Um, and I think the leaning into the colors and it almost felt like you're walking into like a pastry or a cake, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the, the living room felt like a wedding cake. That yeah. was one of our kind of references yeah so i just i it was, it was beautiful and also the variations of all the different sets and how they sort of told the story and the different colors and how uh philippe lasort our cinematographer would light it and and the and their bedroom there's no pictures of it and priscilla i asked her like, what did it look like at that time and she she didn't really remember specifics of the bedroom so we had to, the art tournament had to invent that based on kind of fragments of what we could find and it was really important that it be this like man cave and she, she describes in the book walking to his bedroom for the first time and how intimidating it was and how big his bed was and um, what women had been there before and so we, we tried to kind of exaggerate that and give the feeling that she might have felt. Now, Sofia Coppola's movies are known for their costumes, and Priscilla is no exception. First of all, we have to point out that there is a big height difference between Jacob Elordi, who stands around six foot five, and Kaylee Spaney, who's around five foot one. And Spaney said there was a little movie magic at work here. When you couldn't see her feet, she would wear platform heels, or they would use walkways to help add height. That aside, the movie covers the span of 14 years or so, and in that time, hairstyles changed, fashion changed, and here, Spaney tells us about playing around in those different looks and the different departments that helped get her into character. Yeah, it was a real treat for all of the um, with, with HODs in terms of hair, makeup, and costumes to get to play in this world. Um, and, um, you know, a real anchor for me because we shot this out of order in 30 days um, to really lean in to um, the costumes and the hair and the makeup. And it really informed, it was sort of the last missing piece for me to inform how I would sort of hold myself and, you know, being able to play those that age range realistically. But then also um, a huge part in her emotional journey as a woman, you know, and how she, um, makeup told the story. And I, I love that moment in the, the movie where she's applying false eyelashes right before she's about to give birth and it just says so much um without saying anything i love that moment that was in her book about putting her lashes on the way to the hospital it's like it's so so how makeup and and makeup and hair was a tool for her yeah and always um yeah and it helped me whenever i would see her in the makeup of hair i would know where we were in the story and what point and then at the end i like how she is more natural it's the 70s and she's kind of coming back full circle to how to her kind of true self in a way and after the kind of the artifice of, of being this doll which had its fun but also um you, you see you really see her evolution yeah uh, what's interesting too is like when you're kind of finding a liberation you have denim jeans on i know and he never he, oh, he didn't hated like them. denim because he, like he associated it with being um, like, poor where he came from oh. and so like we never had and, denim. Then, and then and then just i, I don't yeah, I don't, yeah it wasn't deliberate it wasn't like, deliberate but when she came out with the brown hair and she has denim, denim on, on you know was, that was like liberated yeah i remember seeing yeah, those, I was like, yeah, yeah. Those choices and she has little makeup on and yeah new, yeah she she doesn't have black hair anymore she's just completely yeah, uh, starting to find her own. Yeah, own she's way. she's a mother. She's mm-hmm. a woman. She's yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a good point. that was a big big part of um, 
making her character. And we had such a great hair and makeup team. I was always worried. There's period movies I call wig movies where, mm-hmm. like, you're looking at the wigs all the yeah, time. I hate yeah. that. So, like, we can't have a wig movie. <laughs> and now I got over my fair wigs because our, our team was so great at it. Yeah. Yes. And they spent a lot of time in hair and makeup. And you never complained. They're hard workers. <laughs> well, we had fun. It was also great because we would have pictures of Elvis and Priscilla on in the makeup and hair trailer. And it was such a, you know, a, a real achievement for the hair and makeup team whenever we get one of the iconic looks. Yeah. You know, Cleona and that Joe was really would fun. They'd print out side-by-side mm-hmm. photos and we'd be like, oh, we got one down. It was really fun. With like little the... celebrations oh, inside the trailer. It's so like, cool. Phew. Yeah, I loved the wedding moments, like to see you guys yeah. and to feel like it felt connected to the real one and, and the, the, leaving the hospital that those those iconic moments was fun to recreate and well they touched a bit on the wedding scene there spaney and coppola say that was one of the more memorable scenes to film the wedding scene felt yeah. really special. I think when I saw them under the flower mm-hmm. arch and, and you're smoking, we shot um, on 16 millimeter slow yeah. motion. We watched that. It was like, I got goosebumps. Oh, it was such a build up with the wedding dress too. Yeah. And like, the, get it yeah. just right. And, and Chanel made the wedding dress in Paris at their couture studio when it showed up. So um, with two people from the atelier and they opened this huge case and her wedding dress arrived. It was a big moment. We were all excited. And then to see you in the dress, that was exciting. And then yeah. I had my family actually come to set yeah. one day and they were they were at the wedding reception oh, yeah. scene. So my little nephews and my sister are actually so there. With my daughter. So oh, yeah, with your daughter. Yeah. So it actually felt like a, a family yeah. affair, which is sweet. That was cute. A portion of the movie is set at Graceland. Late nights, lots of people always around. Here, they share their memories of some of the wilder scenes that happen there. Shooting guns, even tearing down a building on the property. They wouldn't let me tear the house. Um, it was like my biggest memory. You, well, you, you drove, I drove it. I really drove it. You really drove point, it. But I wasn't allowed to And then the, the fireworks scene was so the much fun. The fireworks scene was so much fun. Yeah, we just uh, got to run oh, around. Oh, oh no. My favorite. Sorry, I'm just sort of all, yeah, it's yeah. all coming back. But, um... The, the bumper car, or no, oh, the bumper cars, no, but the, the, the golf, golf cars, that, that was, we so had. They were so slow, but you still made it look fun. I felt like we it were moving the them. Turned, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're these, like, these, I guess, like Harley Davidson, um design golf carts and they got the exact golf carts that he had they have a single wheel at the front i think i had never seen those before yeah so they tip really easily Um, there's great photos at graceland of them there's stories that like they they would he would you would come outside or something and they'd be uh, priscilla would come outside and there's like golf carts tipped over everywhere Mm -hmm, and it was like they have those great home videos yeah there's home videos oh yeah yeah there are great ones of that yeah it was really helpful to see their home movies which you can see on youtube and um and you really see them kidding around and how, what they were like um, together. But together. I felt like when we were filming those, we just had the best time. Yeah, bumper cars like, as well. It was the yeah. same feeling. Same like 2 a.m. We're yeah. all a little bit loopy. Yeah. The Memphis Mafia were really fun. Yeah, oh, they, they were great. Gang. They had so really great. Because they just laugh at everything that but I they would do. <laughs> and Sophia had the idea to have them... Um, like they would bring me food and stuff like that from the craft services, bring me my coffee. And like, if it was a negative day or something, and like with a, a scene with separation, like Kaylee might tell a joke, but everyone would be kind of in, in my, you know, we were playing cards, smoking, yeah. like, yeah, they were, they, they, were, they, were the, yeah, yeah, they were, they were, yeah, whatever I said was funny, you know, they were amazing. Devin asked something that I always wonder, what did they keep from set, be it costumes or props? 
I have some gold records of yeah. Jacob as Elvis. I, I have a pin that says I love Elvis on it with your face right. on it. Which yeah. is so... Oh, and I have your wedding portrait. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, there's a painting of them as oh, their have, wedding portrait. Yeah, I, have, I don't know where I'm going to put it. I, so I have one. I'm like, I need to send it to my grandma or something. Yeah. It's like my profile oh, as yeah. Priscilla. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad you kept that. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, what do you do with this photo? But yeah. my grandma will like it. <laughs> Totally. I have the lighter. Uh, Sophia gave me the lighter that he used the whole film with my oh, so classy. It, which is just so, yeah, <laughs> the little DuPont lighter. And last but certainly not least, Elvis is famous for loving peanut butter, banana, and bacon sandwiches. So, did they indulge? You ate a lot of bacon. You I did ate a lot of bacon. bacon. Priscilla told us that Elvis liked really burnt bacon. I averaged like a pound of bacon a day. Yeah, <laughs> you got your love. I did. I actually, it's not that noticeable because I'm quite long, but I, I was the biggest I've ever been in my in my life. Like, really? Yeah, when I see the LA scenes, I kind of turn away with that open shirt. It's just, I've never, uh. yeah. Yeah, I could feel yeah. it in my brain. It's not a bad way uh, to prep with all the bacon. Yeah, it was just like the bacon. And oh, did you ever have the peanut butter? No, I, I never. I never had it. Yeah. I never had it. We should, we should, we should ask Priscilla now. really how, yeah. how to make it. Because she like, learned how to make it. Oh, really? Learned, yeah. I think she, he would also fly to different... I thought she, he took like a flight to go get to get them. To get them. There was I like think she told me, Priscilla told me that because they were so poor that they would just live off peanut butter and banana sandwiches. So when he was more successful, like it reminded him of being a kid. Mm. But we have to ask her how to really make them because she can tell us yeah, how to okay. do it. It's a secret to, Yeah, keep that going. <laughs> Um, Devin, I'm so glad you asked about the bacon because I like I saw, you know, there was a sandwich sitting on a tray. They were eating at one point. And I was like, did he really like did he really eat the sandwich? So to hear how much bacon he ate is kind of blew my mind. I know. I was like, he told me that. And I, he was like, yeah, he, he was like, I think I'm the heaviest I've ever been just based on how much bacon, you know, Priscilla was like, specifically, he liked ex Elvis liked extra crispy bacon. So that's that's the. So funny to me, which I'm team extra crispy bacon. I, you know, I know some people like the more, you know, different, different levels of crisp, but I, li I like some crunch. Team Kelly Mantle's bacon dress from Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> Very different um, <laughs> consumption of bacon, but yes, indeed. Oh, gosh. Um, all right. By the way, Priscilla <laughs> is in theaters this weekend at Select Theaters and it expands November 3rd. On that note, that is it for this week's episode of The Awardist. Joey and Devin, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, thank you, Jared. Of course. Of course. And uh, thanks so much to all of you for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on X, formerly known as Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We'll see you back here next week on The Awardist and every day at EW.com. This episode of The Awardist is hosted and produced by Jared Hall and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.